0: I think that um, they were a, they were kind of neck and neck for a little while, and I think content marketing has won. Actually.
1: Wow. Actually. Okay. Digitalmarketingradio.com. The big interview with David Bain. Do you need a content marketing strategy before you start producing content? Is it important to have a consistent tone of voice in all of your content? And is it essential to have a call to action at the end of your content? Those are just three of the questions that I intend to ask today's special guest, Elisa Gabbard. Elisa, welcome to DMR.
0: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
1: Oh, well, thanks for joining me. Oh, well, Elisa is the content marketing manager at WordStream, an online advertising software and services firm that also offers free tools for digital marketers. So Elisa, how would you define content marketing and how has it changed over the last couple of years?
0: Well, I suppose I would define content marketing as using content, which has become sort of a buzzword, but all that really means is um, things like blog posts or guides or videos, anything that's that you post on the web and is consumable by people, um, as a way to basically bring in potential leads, possibly new customers, um, and just to build your brand. So this is something that companies have been doing, actually, for a really long time, but I don't think that they always called it content marketing. Um, And I guess I would say that the main way it's changed is that there's really been a focus on making sure that the content is high quality and that it's really what your prospects want so that they're delighted by you and that they want to keep, keep coming back and consuming your content and sharing it with other people. Um, as opposed to maybe previously there was more of a focus on search engine rankings and kind of um, quantity over quality. So yeah, I think it's, it's basically putting content quality and readability first over things like technical, technical SEO, um, search engine optimization.
1: Okay, um, so um, that's your thoughts on what it is. Um, do you think it's evolved quite a bit over the last couple of years?
0: I think it has evolved. I think that more and more people are doing it um, and that just makes it so much more competitive. I mean, first of all, you have companies who are doing it really for marketing, um, again, as a way to, say, generate leads or to to try to just drive more traffic if you have an e-commerce model, Um But then we're also competing, all those companies that are doing it for marketing are also competing with um, more of like journalism type models, uh, big media models, websites like Huffington Post and BuzzFeed. Um, There's just so much new content coming from so many different sources all the time and a lot of times you're competing for attention on social media, and you know what blogs do people read? How much space do they have mentally to read content? What mm-hmm. newsletters are they already getting? it's just it's just very, very competitive. So, I mean, that's a big challenge.
1: Okay, so um, just the fact that there's so much more content being produced at the moment just makes it more challenging Mm -hmm. to get your content out there to ensure that it's as high a quality um, standard as possible. Um,
0: Yeah, and even if it is really high standard, just is anybody going to find it and pay attention to it? I mean, you might be making great stuff, but nobody sees it.
1: Right okay. And in terms of fads, um the, the, there's always seemed to be a a different name, a different type of digital uh, marketing activity, but um essentially it is the same thing. And um mm-hmm. what I'm thinking of um is inbound marketing because inbound marketing kind of incorporates content marketing and SEO and, and 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 measurement of of the effectiveness of that. Um do you think the name inbound marketing will ever actually overtake the name content marketing in terms of popularity?
0: I think that um, they were a, they were kind of neck and neck for a little while, and I think content marketing has won. Actually,
1: wow, I, it okay. seems
0: to me. I hear I hear people saying content marketing all the time, and inbound to me still has a little bit of a tight association with a few certain companies. I and mean, for example, HubSpot yeah. is sort of they're they're known as the inbound experts, um, but I don't, I wouldn't say that it's it's caught on quite as much maybe as as they thought it would. I I don't. I don't mean that in a, in a bad way. We love HubSpot, we partner with HubSpot, but um, I just feel like for whatever reason, content marketing has really um, taken hold and I don't know, it, it could die off. I'm not I'm not <laughs> saying it's going to last forever, but right now I really feel like content marketing is what everybody is super excited about.
1: And in terms of dying off, I take it you're meaning content marketing as a descriptive term rather than an activity. Exactly, Yeah. <laughs>
0: exactly. I don't think it'll die as an activity, just like, you know, SEO it will never die but yeah. I think there is people are a little bit of afraid of it now they don't like the term SEO as much because it's it's come to be associated with kind of black hat yeah slightly nefarious activities whereas content marketing still sounds very clean and safe
1: and nice <laughs> that's funny actually because I've, I've done a seminar before called seo will never die and it's um, simply <laughs> it, it, it's of the premise that you know techniques change absolutely but the concept of getting our website ranked to the top of a search engine and a search engine doesn't even necessarily have to be google it could be an app search engine or um, a video search engine that kind of concept won't die
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. As long as there are search engines, there's always going to be SEO. Um, If for some reason we manage to evolve past search engines, then maybe SEO
1: will die. (laughs) Now, in terms of content marketing, again, um, a business, um, you know, is possibly fairly fresh to publishing content. Hasn't done a great deal of it in the past. Um, is it essential for them to actually come up with a content marketing strategy before they start publishing? Or is the secret to just start publishing and then evolve their strategy as they go along?
0: It's funny that you should ask this because I just wrote a blog post on this topic. <laughs> and <laughs> I think that um, I, I maybe am going against the grain of what other content marketers would say. But I think you know what, you don't really need a strategy not to get started, especially if you're a small business, um, you know, with a small budget. And I think that companies like that tend to be scrappy. And I think the best way to get started is to just start publishing content and let your strategy evolve and form as you go. Because the problem with strategies is that if you spend too much time developing this, you know, complicated content calendar, and you have these big ideas, and you want to publish something every day, et cetera, et cetera um you might quickly find that either you're just not capable of doing it internally as a team you don't have the resources or you might find that what you're doing isn't resonating with your audience and then you have to scrap it all and start over so i'm a big fan of just just starting you know start a blog start publishing stuff and um and see what's working and then evolve as you go and after you've been doing it for 6 months a strategy starts to emerge and then you can you can really sharpen that over the years we've now been doing content marketing for um, probably over five years, I would say. And we've just gotten so much better because we've been very agile when it comes to strategy. And, you know, now we have a strategy, but initially our strategy was a total failure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it's it important to have a consistent tone of voice with all of your content? Um, if there are multiple people writing the content for you, um, should you actually um, stick with that uh, same to- tone of voice?
0: I think that there's probably a window that you want to, you know, a rough window that you probably want to stay within, and um, this is where something like having a style guide or brand voice guide for multiple authors might come in handy, just so you're not all over the place and kind of confusing your customers, um, or your potential customers, rather. But I think it's okay to have a little bit of variation. I mean, my favorite blogs often have multiple authors, my favorite marketing blogs especially, and um, and I'm okay with the mall having a slightly different voice or or sort of tone, um, as long as you know there's something there's something consistent that's keeping it all together, and that's the reason that I'm coming to this blog in the first place. But I think a little variation is great.
1: Okay. Um, um. What about um the actual length of the d- different posts? Um. Uh, is it worthwhile trying to make them as long as possible, maybe a thousand plus words, or um is it more important just to focus on the message that you're writing? And uh, as long as you've covered what you wanted to say, that's fine.
0: I would guess that this depends on the industry. Um. And so you know, you always kind of have to test, not not like a strict A B test, but just try different things and see what's resonating. But in our industry, uh, we've actually found that the longer the better, um, you know, to a point w- without getting insane. Okay, but it, so w- what's insane? <laughs> I, I don't know, you know, 20,000 words. Oh, my goodness, insane. okay, <laughs> but all, all of our blog posts are over a thousand words, and um, you know, often some of our best performing things are um, two to three to four thousand, and so you know, as long as as long as they're not just long-winded and rambling just for the sake of adding link to the page, um, you know, you want to make sure that the link is there for a reason, that you're actually adding more information and it's still relevant to the topic. But uh, yeah, I mean, we find that in our industry like longer blog posts, Um, that you know they just they want more data they want more detail and they like it and they can always skip part of it if they don't want to read the whole thing
1: so if if you have produced then a piece of content which is four thousand words long is it worthwhile to uh, always include a call to action within that content or should you not be thinking about that at all
0: this comes into how you actually want to fit content marketing into your overall marketing strategy um I think a lot of times it works best to think of content marketing as happening mostly at the top of the funnel. And in in those instances where you're really just trying to catch people who are um, just getting started, maybe doing research on something that's relevant to whatever product or service you offer, um, you don't really want to be too pushy with always having CTAs in your content because there's been studies that show um, when there's like, an ad, or essentially, or too strong of an offer at the end of a blog post, even if everything up to that part, that CTA, was totally neutral, they do lose trust um, because they, you know, they just feel toyed with or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so sometimes it can be better to like just share information at first and then find ways to try to push them a little further down the funnel later on, like either by asking them. Um, to you know, having a subtle call for them to sign up for a newsletter or something like that. So that's a pretty subtle CTA. And if they subscribe to your list, you know, maybe later on they'll take a further step. So, to become an actual lead.
1: Okay. Don't don't become too pushy. Um, so that means that you're not a fan, then a taker of popovers.
0: Well, you know, I w- I wouldn't say that I'm not a fan, but um, I mean, because I think that they do work. Mm. So as a marketer, you have to walk a fine line, like sometimes something that you don't like so much as a user, like, I I might not be my, my target audience, you know what (laughs) I mean? (laughs) But if you're going to do something like that, I would say, try to set it up so that it only pops up when the person is exiting the page, don't block them from reading your content at all. I think that's very annoying. Mm. You know, when you when you click on a link from Twitter, and you want to read a blog post and there's a huge overlay and you can't get to it. Yeah. Um, but if, if you read a blog post and then you're like, oh, okay, I'm done, you start to click away and then there's a pop-up that says, hey, wait, don't leave yet. And if it's a subtle offer like subscribe to a newsletter, I actually think that's fine. Um, I Again, just I think there's a line where you're being too pushy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if you, if, if you drive tons of people to your subscription list in a manner that um, they don't have any other option, then they're unlikely to be engaged with your content um, when you talk to them in the future anyway. So um, there certainly is an argument for just giving people the option. If they want to subscribe to you, then the chances are they really want to receive further information from you.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, you want them to want to be on your email list. You Mm. don't want to get them and then have them unsubscribe right away.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, and um, also the, there's the cost of maintaining lists as well. Of course, you know because if if you have um, um, if you're using email software and, and you've got tens of thousands of people on your list, um, then you're going to be having to to pay to maintain that list. Really, um, but if you've mm-hmm. got a couple of thousand people of really engaged followers, you you might not even be paying for that list, but they're probably you're just as likely to receive the same level of impact with two thousand engaged um, listeners as you are with. 10,000 people that don't really care that much about what you're saying.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I find that the smaller the list that you send out an email to, the more targeted it is. Like, I mean, the engagement rates are way higher and it's just sort of easier to see whether the message resonated or was successful or not. When you're talking about 100,000 people, um, yeah, those, those click-through rates and everything, they become sort of meaningless because there's just, there just ends up being a lot of junk on the list.
1: So are you also involved with writing content for email newsletters as well?
0: I have been in the past. um, When I first started at WordStream, which was now over five years ago, Hmm. Um, I was really the only writer on the marketing team, and um, I kind of had to do everything, (laughs) Uh, everything word-related. And so I did write a lot of newsletter copy, uh, which I think is very, very different from, say, a blog post.
1: So how would Um, it differ then?
0: Well, I mean, you just have to be so much more concise. You have to cut right to the point. Um, And I think that really you actually have to be a little pushier um, because you're trying to get somebody to do something. That's the whole point of sending out an email. Whereas with a blog post, you're not necessarily expecting somebody to take an action. You're just trying to share information with them. Um, so it's just a completely different goal. And and, that, and having a different objective means you have to change the way you write. And honestly, I don't think I'm all that skilled at writing
1: <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, so, so, uh, <laughs> Luckily, uh,
0: other people do that now.
1: Uh, yeah, I was going <laughs> to ask you, yeah, do, do, does that mean that potentially, if a business can afford it, then um, it's better to get a different person to, to, to write the email newsletter as opposed to writing the content for the blog?
0: Well, if you think of content as being aligned with different levels of the marketing funnel, right? When I was talking about a lot of times blog content is aimed more at the top of the funnel. And then, you know, maybe a little lower down would be like a guide or a webinar. Um, And then even further down would be like a push for, say, a software demo or, um, you know, a sale on a product or something. I actually do think that most writers are probably going to be best suited to one of those levels, um, both in terms of the the funnel and the content that aligns with it. And I just think I'm better at writing top of funnel stuff. And I have found that other people on our team are really great at writing CTAs and that sort of more urgent type, um, do this now mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of newsletter copy. So yeah, it's, it's great if you have the budget and the resources to have, um, multiple people on your marketing team so that everybody can kind of own one of those niches and one of those levels.
1: Okay, I'd like to ask a few questions now about the actual um, structure of the content itself. Um, So Mm -hmm. um, what about the initial headline? Is is there any type of headline that you feel works best? Um, Any any magic phrases that you can um, (laughs) give examples of from the past that work particularly well?
0: Sure, well, um, we definitely always try to align Literally every blog post we publish, we try to align with a keyword that has significant search volume. Mm. Um, significant, just meaning like, you know, not zero. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we always try to get that in the headline because that's really the most important place for it to be okay. for ranking purposes. And um, aside from that, you know, it sounds like a cliche, but, and I thought you might ask about sort of content marketing techniques that are really hot right now. Uh, one of them is that list. Oddly enough, you know, still totally work like that. That hasn't died yet. So mm. all of our all of our top blog posts in the past year have had a number in the headline. Um, so I know it sounds like, you know, too good to be true. Really, if I put a number in the headline, it's going to do better. But yes, all of our all of our top posts have a number in the headline.
1: Wow. So
0: um, so that really works. And I, I think another thing, a third trick that I would say really works is if the post is especially actionable, make sure that the headline conveys how actionable it is. Um, that it's not just going to be like like information that you read and don't know what to do with, but that after you read the post, you're going to be able to go and do something that's going to improve your own
1: life. Okay, so, so, so 100 you know um, or 10 different ways to, to learn this skill, as in this is the skill you're going to learn at the end of this article.
0: Right, or like you know 10 free tools you can try today. Um, something like that, that just, that just really conveys that it's going to be helpful to you. You can use it right now. Um, and that's going to make people want to click that versus a headline that doesn't convey how actionable it is.
1: Okay and and um often you know even though you write long posts um people don't necessarily have a really long attention span so that they they perhaps grab segments of your article um, um or mm-hmm. do you find that to be the case do you find they, they read all the way through it or they're they're looking for subheadings within the article something which is really good to grab their attention
0: I think visual structure is really important for blog posts because people do skim Um, We haven't done, you know, eye tracking studies or anything Mm. (laughs) that advanced to 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 be able to prove that that's the way they read. But I do think that our best posts have a lot of subheadings, a lot of bullet lists broken up with images, um, just ways to make it easier to skim. And uh, along the same lines, I advocate using like bold face. So that if people are in a mood where they just want to skim, there's just a lot of little things for the eyes to eye to latch on to. So they know what's important. You just, just make it easy for them. Tell them what's important. Sometimes they even use highlighting. Um, and I think that links are also a place that the eye naturally goes to. So not to have too many or too few links, just to consider those another little anchor for the eyes.
1: Right. Um, so h- how many is that happy number in the middle then?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's... um. It's more about how many words a blog post is. So I would say um, a link every paragraph or two usually makes sense. Doesn't feel too cluttered, and um, is you know I think you should also use anchor text in a smart way because again sometimes people only read the words that are either in bold or that are that are actually hyperlinked so if those can be as useful and convey as much information as possible then that just makes it even easier for the reader.
1: And is it okay just to go and link out to other articles out there on um, other blogs or, or do you think um, bloggers for companies should just tend to focus on their own content and if they link then link to previous articles that they've written themselves on, on the site that they're writing on?
0: Well I think internal linking which is linking back to your own Previous articles um, is really important because it can increase time on site, um, and I actually think that those you know Google considers those linking signals, those internal links, almost as external links. It's not worth as much, but um, I do think they carry value. So I think they can be really good for SEO, and um, Linking out can be good too. I would just say when you do link out, make sure you're linking to high-quality sites and make sure that it's really relevant to the article. That you know it doesn't feel random. That you're not doing it just for the sake of it, um, and that you know there would be some reason for the reader to click through. If the, if the reader wouldn't actually get any value from clicking through the link, don't even bother.
1: And um, you're obviously writing um, for a really popular blog, the blog, the WordStream blog. Um, but um, mm-hmm. I'm sure at the early stage, it wasn't that popular. And, and <laughs> <laughs> um, that you must have had strategies to actually um, make yourself more popular. So um, um, c- can you perhaps offer one or two tips with regards to um, how to get more people reading your content?
0: Sure. So this is definitely a a strategy that has evolved over time. I mean, yes, we've gotten much more popular. We've gotten much better at being able to predict sort of what will do well. And and we've seen really great growth because of it. Uh, I think some of the things that have helped over the years have been forming relationships with other thought leaders in our industry because then they're more likely to um, to share our content, and that brings new readers in. So um, that can be just something that you nurture, you know, on social media or by sending sending an email out every now and then, just saying like, "Oh, hey, I, I loved your recent post." Um, it, it should be genuine, of course. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. um, but you know, going out of your way to make sure that you are interacting with other people in the same industry who are also creating content um, is great. I mean, those relationships just have so much return over time. So mm. that's something that we've always invested in and, um, I've just gotten better at and better at, and it's been, it's been really worthwhile for us. And also we make friends. So <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a win, win. Um, what else? I think, um, social is really big finding the social networks that, um, that your prospects, that your audience actually use. is not the same for every industry. So for us, internet marketers tend to hang out on Twitter and sometimes Google+, sometimes LinkedIn, Facebook, not so much. Um, not so much something like Pinterest or Instagram. So finding those networks where your audience is and just nurturing, trying to build up your followers, making sure you share all your new content, and not just once, but multiple times, because just one post has very limited reach. Um, so yeah, I mean, social referral can be huge. For some sites, it's almost as big as Organic search, so that's something that I think that we neglected a little bit initially, and we're getting better at, and I want to get a lot better at, even yet.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I like the fact that you mentioned focus and personal relationships. You know, it's it's a long-term strategy that works in the real world, um, and mm-hmm. um, those real-world relationships obviously impact and um, what people say about you online on on via Twitter and whatever other social network you're talking about there as well and it's a long term game um it's not about gaming the system short term um like perhaps SEO was 6 or 7 years ago um, it's 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 about providing that quality content and being um real um with um your like of other content out there. So, um, great advice. Um, But (laughs) let's segue into the second section of our discussion, and that focuses more on your thoughts on where digital marketing's been and where it's heading. So, starting off with... Software I couldn't live without. What software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact the success of your business?
0: Well, um, I think the software that I actually spend the most time in is Google Analytics, which luckily is free. Probably won't be taken away from me, Mm. but you never know. Sometimes (laughs) sometimes Google give us and then take it away. I know. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, we use that a lot for content analysis and just to keep track of all our traffic trends. And I don't know what I would do without that because it just informs our strategy so much. And we would be crippled if we were just throwing stuff out there and had no idea what was performing well and what wasn't. Um, keyword research is very important to me and to how we sort of plan out our our content ideas so um, I use the AdWords keyword tool for that a lot we also have an internal keyword tool well it's an external keyword tool that anyone can use but I say internal because it's ours (laughs) and I I use that too Um, another one that I've really gotten addicted to is a brand monitoring tool called Mention and I Discovered this because Google Alerts just really weren't working for me very well anymore. Right. I don't know why. Um, it's, I, I think they just haven't been doing any <laughs> upkeep or development around those. But, <laughs> like with <food> burner um, <laughs> And Mention is just a dedicated tool um, that you can use to to monitor brand mentions, and I find it's really good. It, it sends you stuff almost in real time. And, you know, you can monitor social mentions, just mentions on the web. It's just really, really good. I find that not much falls through the cracks with that. So I really like that for brand monitoring.
1: Okay. And and, um, and in in relation to keywords that you're mentioning there as well, um, have you been impacted significantly by Google's um, desire to um, take away all the keyword data?
0: You know, that's a drag. We don't like it it would be better if we had all that data. But, um, you know, we've we've found workarounds. We, we just sort of, we just don't pay that much attention anymore to, you know, to the exact keywords that are leading people to exact pages. We mm. do have a rough sense of the keywords that are important for us. And because we always try from the outset to align our content with particular keywords, we find that we have a pretty good idea. If something is a hit, If it's getting a lot of organic traffic, we sort of know that it's probably because of the keyword that we were aiming at. Um, So I think having that keyword strategy from the outset can can help a lot, actually. Um, There are times where you're getting a lot of traffic to a page, and you don't know what the keyword is, and it kind of drives you bonkers, but... (laughs) um i mean we still managed to to do content marketing without it
1: yeah no i mean i can relate with all of that obviously as well and and what software don't you use but you've heard good things about and you've meant to try at some point in the future
0: well you know one tool that i've been hearing a lot about lately and even within my company um larry kim our founder really loves it it's called BuzzSumo. And I've been meaning to start playing around with it more. I think that it's mostly for identifying trending topics, like in your, in your industry, what headlines are getting a lot of attention, especially on social, um, headlines that are going viral. Um, I think it's also for identifying influencers and stuff like that. Anyway, he loves it, and Rand Fishkin from Moz has also said that he loves it, and it's so good, he almost hates to share it. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so that's one that I want to play with more and see, see what I can do with that.
1: I wish I would have. I'd like you to look back on the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? I
0: think that when we first started doing content marketing, um, we really focused on, seo so highly that we sort of lost sight of the branding side of content and now i really look at content market as being more well maybe not more but at least as much about branding brand building um as it is about you know seo and organic traffic so you know i wish we sort of caught on to that earlier right now that we're really focusing on quality over quantity and trying to get people to be return visitors and to become fans of our brand um and not just one-time visitors we're just having much much better results so um yeah i mean i'm glad we i'm glad we figured it out <laughs> but it would have been even more amazing if we figured it out earlier
1: The this or that round. So let's move on to the this or that round. So that's the quick response round. Ten quick questions. Try not to think about the answer too much. I'm just looking for your gut reaction. Ready to go? Okay. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Email or Twitter? Twitter. Audio or video? Video. Affiliates or display advertising? Display. Facebook or Google Plus? Facebook. Online press releases or one-on-one relations?
0: One-on-one.
1: Paid search or SEO?
0: <laughs> SEO.
1: Email contact form or telephone number?
0: Email contact.
1: Website or app? Website. Social subscriber or email subscriber?
0: Email subscriber.
1: And local marketing or global marketing?
0: Local. Yeah.
1: Moving straight on to the $10,000 question. If I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success?
0: So I think I'm going to contradict my <laughs> my faster on answer when I said I would pick SEO <laughs> or PPC because if I had $10,000, I think I would spend it on PPC just because it is so measurable um, and we would know for sure what kind of value we were getting for that investment um, it's just it's just more measurable it's just easier to, even though I think that SEO and content marketing might have more value in the long term and the short term having a bunch of money um, I think I think I would pour it into PPC I would pour it into campaigns that we already know are working really well and just you know raise our budget and see if we could get even more leads for the same for the same cost per lead
1: and would you pour it all into the big Google or would you split it around um, other pay paper, click networks? <laughs>
0: We would probably use mostly Google, but we have one of the things that we found a lot of success with is using remarketing. And this is a great way to piggyback off of content marketing. After people have found us for the first time in organic search, they found one of our blog posts, say, you know, we cookie them and then later we kind of chase them around with the display ad with an offer. Mm. And those convert really well for us because we know that they're already at least a little bit familiar with our brand. And it's just a great way for us to basically do CRO
1: um, on the
0: internet with display ads.
1: Retargeting. So a a good opportunity there as well. And and what about metrics? What are the main metrics that you keep an eye on on a weekly basis just to measure how your marketing activities are performing?
0: So when it comes to just content marketing, um, the metrics that I really focus on are total traffic and then I I specifically look at the channels organic direct and referral. Um, I look at our social traffic and I look at engagement on all of our blog posts. So that's comments and social shares. Um, and to some extent, you know, time on site and stuff like that. Um, I look for media mentions and links back to our content. Um, those are the big ones. And then as a team, we're all always focusing on first actions and sales qualified leads. So um, that's something that I sort of look at in conjunction with the rest of the team. But I, I do f- f- focus more on that sort of top of the funnel stuff like traffic in particular.
1: My number one takeaway. Well, Elisa, you've um, offered a lot of great advice in our conversation, but what's the number one takeaway? What's the single most important step that our listeners need to take away and implement in their own businesses?
0: I would say my absolute number one tip is to do keyword research when it comes to figuring out your content marketing planning and strategy. Because I think far too many people just try to guess what their audience might want. um, And they're essentially trying to force feed them with whatever they feel like writing about or talking about. And it doesn't take off because there's no interest. And the thing about keyword research is that it, it just aligns so closely with audience interest. So if a keyword has a lot of search volume, that's that means that people are interested in it. And so if you're writing content using keywords that have high search volume, that's also telling you like, hey, people are interested in this. And that means you're going to get more interest when you send that out in an email or when you share it on social. Like across the board, it's just, it's just a great stand-in for what people want to know more about. Um, so yeah, I think that should, be like the foundation of all your content marketing.
1: Well, that takes us to the end of our discussion today. So, thank you so much for your time, your focus, and your willingness to give back. What's the best way for our audience to find out more about you and what you do?
0: Well, you can visit the WordStream blog, which is wordstream.com/slash/blog, um, or you can follow me on Twitter at, at egabbert That's at e-a-e-g-a-b-b-e-r-t Sorry. Um, that's the best way, I would say.
1: Great stuff. Okay. Thanks again, Lisa.
0: Thank you so much for having me Digital market in radio
1: digital you market it in radio Digital
0: market in radio that yeah.
1: cow